Good morning, and welcome to Ronkle and the Mayor. This is episode 27, so let's dip into the slipstream. Uh, just FYI, 27 was my favorite number growing up. Uh, let's see, uh, my uh, Trent Reznor of Nine Inch Nails was peak Trent at 27. Uh, my favorite heavy metal satellite radio station happened to be on channel 27. It was called Heart Attack. Um, there are several other instances of this uh, uh, coming up throughout uh, my teenage to adult life. It, I'm not even sure why 27. I think it had a lot to do with uh, some musicians I liked. But anyway, this is episode 27, and here we are, folks, still kicking ass. All right. So, the walks have been going pretty good. I've actually kind of picked up the pace. Um, it took me a while, now that, I'm, now that I'm old, I'm 42, it took me a while to kind of get back in the groove every time I kind of slow down or stop, or I go on a trip and don't really uh, do the committed walk. Anyway, I've decided to pick up the pace, which I've done the last uh, week or so, week and a half. Um, it's going pretty good. The weather's been great and nice and cool, actually. This has been one of the coolest Augusts. I know with climate change, that seems crazy, but we've had a very mild summer up here in Portland, and uh, at this time last year, there was a lot of smoke, so no smoke either, and actually today, uh, as I'm talking, it's in, the, it's in the low 60s right now, and it's cloudy with a little bit of wind, so it's like a fall day. Um, Speaking of which, uh, my my apple tree is just about to turn. Um, the apples, you know, the crummy ones are falling off. Uh, the squirrels are ripping things apart. But looking at another huge haul of Liberty apples. That's right, true patriotic apples here in Portland. And uh, the tomatoes, my, I have four tomato plants, and they're going bananas. Um, I have, I'm, I basically have been having to give away tomatoes. Um, I can only eat so many. There's only so many BLTs and Caprese salads I can cram into me. Um, but this has been one of the, the tastiest tomato crops I've I've had. And I'm pretty good at growing tomatoes. I know it's, it doesn't take a lot of skill, but uh, I've watched other people try to grow vet, fruits and vegetables, and I don't I don't claim to have a green thumb, but some people just kill plants. Uh, I know a couple people who just kill plants. Uh, so <laughs> uh, anyhow. Uh, share it square a little update there the the share it square community wants to do a few more community events uh, so a music night has been scheduled um, uh, it's been planned the date has not been set yet uh, and there's going to be a few game nights to go along with fall harvest and potluck dinners and these things all come up here pretty quick um, I kind of I kind of uh, like the idea of the potluck dinners although I have never actually attended one um, you know, my, I guess it's my, my anxieties are, are a little too high to just go have a potluck dinner with some of the, some of the neighbors. Anyway, that's the, uh, these are, will be in addition to the normal, uh, events on the calendar. And, uh, I've seen a lot of, uh, tourists. We have a couple of tourist groups that get, take a walk through Selwood. Now I wouldn't do anything like that, but they were all, uh, Yesterday, as I came back from my walk, there was a group of people uh, at the tea station in Sherritt Square, and they were all uh, they were all making cups of tea and uh, enjoying themselves. So uh, they stopped uh, stopped me and asked me a few questions. I explained the painting, and uh, there's a you know that there's another one a few blocks away. And uh, yeah, well, it's kind of cool. I'm glad people are interested. It's a walking tour. There's a dude with a, it's all mic'd up, and he's just explaining things. There's some historic houses around here, but. Um, 
nothing nothing of note i don't think anyhow uh like i said fall is fast approaching uh, i've noticed a ton of the leaves on the trees around here are starting to turn the inner leaves are actually falling uh, my ginkgo this morning a bunch of bunch of leaves uh, fell out but i think that's uh, due to some squirrels running around in there um as far as the home front goes uh i have a I leave my trash can out by the street. It's sort of at the edge of my property. And the only drawback to that is just about everybody who walks with a dog, which is every human in Portland, puts their they put their dog poop in my garbage can. So my garbage can smells terrible sometimes. And it's also attracted some yellow jackets. Uh, so I thought, well, I will leave the yellow jackets there as a deterrent because I had to. I would come over to the garbage can. And I saw this nest sort of underneath the lip of the can, and I would slowly lift it, throw the trash in, and run away as all the bees came swarming out to try and kill me. And I'm sure the neighbors have watched this out the window a few times as I creeped up to my garbage can. But I decided to leave it as a deterrent. So I sat there watching, and this lady came up with this huge bag of poop. I thought, well, where's her dog? Is her dog Godzilla? I mean, this, this, so she goes over there and she opens the thing, you know, nonchalantly banging into it, and all the bees come swarming out, and she ran away with that bag of poop in her hand. <laughs> so, so it worked. But then I went out to put my trash in. I was talking to my neighbor, and the bees attacked me and bit me on my thumb and my leg. <laughs> it was like the third or fourth time I've been stung by my own alarm system. So uh, so I went out there, and I sprayed the bees and killed them. But they just went and built a new nest slightly further up under the lip of the garbage can. So I'm right back where I started. And yesterday, there were a couple of old dudes standing out there looking at the uh, the meadow across the street. And uh, I, they said hi, and I opened the can, and I put the trash in, and as the lid closes, here come all the yellow jackets, and so I ran for my life again. These two guys, I looked back, and they were just kind of watching me. Uh, I don't even know. I keep turning away from the microphone, like maybe they're watching me right now. Uh, <laughs> but I ran back, ran back inside, and uh, one of the bees followed me all the way up to my front walk. I mean, he was pissed. So, excuse me. So I'm going to have to figure out another method. Um, I do think this cold morning might have actually gotten rid of the yellow jackets. Um, and uh, as soon as the home construction is done, I'll be able to kind of move my can, my garbage can back in. It's only picked up every two weeks, but I have a bunch of uh, building debris on the side of my house. And uh, so it's this is how it's going to be for right now. But the cool weather shall, will probably uh, kill the, the yellow jackets. They don't do too well below 70 degrees. Um, so... Yeah, that's uh, that's what's going on here. That's the exciting life in uh, Selwood, Oregon, uh, uh, which is in Portland, by the way. Anyway, it's a great place to live, even with the bees. So let's do our awesome transition. Here we are with IndyCar and Open Wheel News. We've been off for a couple of weeks, basically, but this weekend is the Pocono ABC 500 at the Tricky Triangle in Pocono, Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania, sorry. And the reason they call it the Tricky Triangle is because it is a three-corner oval. Uh, it is built for Indy cars with long straights and corners that you can uh, take wide open. So uh, this is uh, ABC Supply is the title sponsor. They also uh, support uh, one of the teams on the in the IndyCar series. Uh, the issue is that IndyCar has been in negotiations with Richmond, uh, another oval, and may drop Pocono. 
Now, this all comes down to sanctioning fees, and I'm not a big oval fan, but I don't like this swapping out races for another race. Uh, I want 20 to 25 races. We're stuck at 17 right now. I'd like to see Pocono stay on the schedule, um, but there, there are some issues. Justin Wilson was killed there uh, five years ago when debris bouncing on the track hit him in the head and killed him. Uh, last year, Robert Wickens, who had ch switched over to IndyCar from DTM, was kicking ass in the series, and uh, he got a little loose in uh, one of the one of the turns and went up into the catch fence. It tore his car apart. He uh, collapsed both lungs, tore his spleen, broke both legs, fractured his ankles and arms. Uh, he spent months in a hospital. Now he's back. They thought he wouldn't ever walk again. Um, his his team, Aero Schmidt, uh, they they kept a car for him. They didn't even race the car. They said, when you're ready, you can come back and race for us. Your contract stands. So pretty cool. But I've been watching his updates. I mean, this guy, he's just now getting to the point where he's he's walking with help. And then he had some sort of infection, had to go back in and have a surgery on his ankle again, which set him back a few weeks recently. Uh, Robert Wickens is an excellent driver. He's a young, younger Canadian guy. I think he's 30. He's getting married here next month. The goal for him and his fiancée is for him to be able to dance at his wedding. And uh, it's been quite a, quite a climb to do that. So next year possibly in the car but I kind of think Robert Wickens is done I don't I don't know about these spinal cord injuries playing out too well in racing so uh let's let's keep going though there's there's a lot of big a lot of big news coming so uh Ray Hall Letterman or Ray Hall Letterman Racing uh, that's David Letterman and Bob Ray Hall and uh Lan Mike Lanigan a construction czar uh, they're looking for a third. They're looking strong for a third car. Now they say this every year. They they and it, I feel like it's a two-year process for Ray Hall Letterman. They'll say they're close to getting a car, and then they'll run someone in a couple of races here or there, maybe an extra car in the 500, and then they'll say, ah, oh, the funding didn't come through. Well, then a couple of years ago they signed Takuma Sato, who actually comes with a lot of Honda money. Anyway, they've done pretty well with him and Graham Ray Hall, and they've had a third car at the 500. Uh, Jordan King this last year was a forgettable race. But uh, the, the, the thing that's different this time is that because of the, the merger with McLaren and Arrow, and McLaren, because of their bad relationship with Honda, had to buy Arrow Schmidt out of their Honda contract. Now, uh, James Hinchcliffe, their lead driver at Arrow, or at McLaren Arrow now, McLaren Arrow SP, I think is technically what they're called, Schmidt-Peterson. Uh, so Hinchcliffe is Honda's national spokesperson. He has uh, national ads in Canada, Japan, and the United States. So I think that he's saying all the right things right now about the team, but I think he's going to be leaving and this makes sense to go to Ray Hall Letterman because they are a Honda team and Bob Ray Hall and his son Graham own a bunch of uh, Honda car dealerships <laughs> around the Midwest. So, uh, so they're all in for Honda. Uh, and it just may, it sort of makes sense. They get this Honda money, they get the Honda driver and they keep Honda keeps him in the family, um, which is, important he's a good driver and he's a popular driver so uh that could be that could be happening this is part of silly season this is why things all got thrown up in the air so um 
Colton Herta, who has a three-year option with Andretti, is now considered a top option for McLaren Arrow. So you could see him, uh, some money being spent that way. You could see Pat uh, Patricio Award coming back from Japan and Super GT. He's been high on on uh, McLaren's list. Uh, and also uh, Santino Ferrucci, who we call Santucci. He has an option with Dale Coin Racing, but has not signed. Uh, I would say Santucci is going to be highly sought after. He's fast and he comes... Uh, most importantly, he brings big money. He has Clydell as a big sponsor of his, and uh, he seems to have some personal money. He's also very fast. Um, some drivers are just fast, and considering this was his first year at most of these tracks in America, he is from Connecticut, but he'd been over in Europe racing in uh, Formula 2 and a test driver for uh, uh, Haas racing in Formula 1. So, he hadn't raced at most of these tracks. He'd only done Detroit doubleheader, which he came over last season to do after he lost his ride in Europe. Uh, he had some personal issues. He rammed a teammate of his a couple times in frustration and basically has had to throw his hands up and say, I was an immature jerk and I'm going to prove to everybody that I'm a good guy and I can race hard. And that's what he's done this year. So I would say he's actually really high on a lot of teams lists. Um, I think the other fallout here, so we're going to keep going on this, uh, Myers-Shank Racing, which had a technological alliance with uh, Aero Schmidt-Peterson. Well, now that they switched to Chevy, um, uh, Michael Shank Racing, or Myers-Shank Racing, I guess, I'm sorry, they are a Honda team. They race Acuras in uh, uh, sports car racing in IMSA. And uh, they are a big Honda team, so they they will be moving. They will not have an alliance with uh, the new McLaren Aero SP team. And so I kind of think you could see them go to uh, an alliance with Chip Ganassi, who's Honda. And they don't want to expand their team, but they would like to do a, uh, an alliance. And I'd like to see Jack Harvey. He has big sponsorship with AutoNation and Sirius XM. So uh, he, they're looking for a full-time ride next year. Uh, they're up from the 10 races they, they did this year. Uh, so, you know, there's going to be a lot of movement here. And with only two manufacturers and a lot of these drivers kind of tied to one um, automaker or another, that's going to force the hand of some of these teams. So, uh, like we talked about in the last show, they're coming in with hybrid engines, which should bring in, uh, I would say, between two and three more engine makers. Um, we have till late next spring for them to come online and be ready for the 2022 season. Uh, it takes a couple of years of testing, development, and then you got to homoglobe the engines. Uh, so anyway... There's going to be a lot of driver movement, and I wouldn't be too surprised to see Santino Ferrucci team up with someone like Jack Harvey as, uh, as a satellite team with a technological alliance with CGR, Chip Ganassi Racing. Uh, and I expect Rosenquist and Scott Dixon to stay um, with Chip Ganassi Racing. Uh, Scott Dixon is uh, probably the greatest driver of the generation. And now he's starting to to knock off some of the all-time greats. Um, he He's very impressive, but they are definitely tied to him. And he's not a spring chicken anymore. So uh, they need to start looking and using these satellite teams to bring some people in. And I think they already are. Uh, so we had, a, we had a test day here in Portland uh, last week. And six teams came out, including Oliver Askew, who tested for Chip Ganassi Racing. And... Uh, Renus VK tested for uh, 
tested for, tested for uh, uh, I'm sorry, one of the uh, tested for Andretti. I'm losing my losing my place here. So there were six cars out there testing, and testing days are limited. Now there are some manufacturer test days. Chevy and Honda do it. There is a tire there are tire test days, and those those numbers are available to all the teams. So certain drivers will be selected uh, by the by the automakers, and they'll go do some testing. Firestone had uh, Joseph Newgarden at Texas a week ago testing, so those numbers from that tire test would be available to all the teams. But the testing done here in Portland, uh, so you had all the Andretti drivers, you had Renus VK, Askew, and a couple other the Indy Lights guys, and a way for teams to get an extra test day is to test an Indy Lights driver. So if you, you get two of those a year, basically, if the, someone has money, I mean, these tests aren't free, um, but if you're a team, more data is, is more better. We'll just say you want as much data as possible. So uh, a team with three cars has a lot more data to crunch and look for that sweet spot in the setup than say a team with one car. So Andretti with their four cars and their satellite team, uh, with Harding Steinbrenner, they basically have five to six cars each week on track. And so when they do their tests and their setups, they're, they're, they're able to crunch a lot of data. So I, the reason you would want to run an Indy Lights, guys, you'd get one more chance to, to get some numbers in there. You also get to see if an up-and-coming driver is worth it. Uh, you know, so Renus VK is not going to win Indy Lights, but he's from the Netherlands and he has a big, he has big backers. And so he'll probably be, get a couple of a ride next year or be in the series and then ask you who's going to win Indy Lights. He'll get the scholarship money, which will guarantee him the Indy 500 and a couple other races. Um, but he, he brings some money too. I think he has a, a Jumbo as his sponsor, which is a grocery store chain, I believe, in Europe. Now, don't quote me on that, but I always look at that, that side of his car and a jumbo, and I never really think of it as just a name. Anyway, it's a big, big shopping chain. So uh, there will be uh, a lot of movement. Uh, there are a lot of young guys testing. Uh, and we're sort of at this, this point in IndyCar right now where a lot of the top drivers are a little too close to my age, I would say. So there's going to be some turnover coming and it looks like with McLaren coming, you just keep following the money. IndyCar is slowly but surely making some some moves. I think it's really going to help uh, when they when they're able to add the hybrids. But so far, the, this season has been good. The ratings have been up slightly. They've had a couple of couple of losers. Uh, they rate last the, the last race was on the same time as a a NASCAR race, and the NASCAR race course got more ratings. Uh, but we just keep churning along here, uh, little by little. More sponsors keep showing up. So, um, oh, that's right. Here, I'll make a little correction here. Renus VK tested for Ed Carpenter Racing, uh, and th th what I wanted to note there is Renus, uh, after his Portland adventure, he talked about how great Portland was, and then posted this really well produced video that you can find on his uh, his social media. Uh, and he, uh, so anyway. He, he seems to have major backing, and he's ready to go, even though he's not going to win the, the Lights title. Um, and Askew, when he tested, he actually drove Scott Dixon's number nine Honda. The team thought he tested well. He's expected to win the Indy Lights, which will secure him the $1.2 million prize. Uh, like I said, this buys him three races, one of which includes the Indy 500. Uh, so he'll need funding for 14 to 15 races. Um and like I said, good practice and data for all the teams. Testing days are limited. 
you know, this is, uh, so you want to, you want to get as many people in as possible. Uh, th you can also test, uh, drivers from outside the league. Um, so a lot of IMSA drivers and former, former formula one drivers get some test days too. Uh, like we saw Felipe, Felipe Nasser, who I wouldn't be surprised if we saw him on the McLaren S uh, Aero team next year. And I would give Marcus Erickson another chance. Although I think he's just sort of a middling driver. He's, there's nothing wrong with him. There's also nothing really spectacular about him, although he brings money, and money talks in racing. Uh, racing, it, it's you, it's all money. If you have a good engineer and some money, you're going to win some races, um, and you basically just need a driver who's not afraid to die, which is most of them. Um, and like I said, Aero SP just merged with McLaren, so now it'll be called McLaren Aero SP, and they'll use Chevy engines. Woo! So there's a lot of movement in IndyCar. Uh, the Pocono race is this weekend on Sunday, and uh, I encourage everybody to watch it. It's uh, There's only going to be 22 cars on track, and this is my issue with the big ovals or ovals in general. IndyCar's got to work towards 30 cars on track at all the ovals. I mean, the 500, you have 33 cars, but these big two-mile tracks, um, I just think they beg for more more cars on track or else there's just too much space. Um, now I do like the speeds Pocono, they get up there, you know, 220 pretty fast and, uh, the racing should be pretty good. Um, and yeah, we'll just have to hope for uh, a safe race. Um, the last, you know, we've had a lot of carnage over the last several years and that's the reason some of the drivers aren't as keen to go back. It's like Vegas when Dan Weldon died well, they'll never race in Vegas again on a high bank, uh, high speed oval like that. Anyway, just too dangerous. So Let's do our little uh, conspiracy switch over here. And today I thought we'd talk about one of my favorite little stories. It's not really a conspiracy. It's just sort of a cool, uh, just something cool that I kind of like. And we're going to talk about the radioactive Boy Scout. And his name was David Hahn. Uh, David Charles Hahn. He was born October 30th, 1976, and he died September 27th, 2016. He's sometimes called the Radioactive Boy Scout or the Nuclear Boy Scout. Uh, he was an American who attempted, who attempted to build a homemade neutron source at the age of 17. <laughs> so, you know, you always get these little, you try and earn some badges in Scouts, and this guy, you know, he wanted that science badge, I guess. So, here we go. A scout in the Boy Scouts of America, David Hahn, conducted his, his experiments in secret in a backyard shed at his mother's house in Commerce Township, Michigan. While he never actually managed to build a reactor, what he built was a neutron source. Hahn attracted the attention of local police when he, uh, when he was stopped on another matter and they found material in his vehicle that troubled them. And he, war and he warned that it was radioactive. His mother's property was cleaned up by the EPA 10 months later as a Superfund cleanup site. Han attained Eagle Scout rank shortly after his lab was dismantled. While the incident was not widely publicized initially, it became better known following a 1998 Harper's article by journalist Ken Silverstein. Uh, Han was also the subject of Silverstein's 2004 book, The Radioactive Boy Scout. As an adult, Han served in the U.S. Navy and the Marines. He was subsequently treated for mental illness, and his death at age 39 was related to drug and alcohol use. 
Um, so, you know, his life didn't turn out too great, but uh, he was a Boy Scout fascinated by chemistry. He spent years conducting amateur chemistry experiments which sometimes caused small explosions or other mishaps. He was inspired in part by reading the Golden Book of Chemistry Experiments and tried to collect samples of every element in the periodic table, including the radioactive ones. He later received a merit badge in atomic energy and became fascinated with the idea of creating a breeder reactor in his home. Han diligently amassed radioactive material by collecting small amounts from household products such as uh, americium from smoke detectors, thorium from camping lantern, uh, camping lantern mantles, radium from clocks, and tritium from gun sights. His reactor was bored out block uh, was a bored out block of lead, and he used lithium uh, from one thousand dollars worth of purchased batteries to purify the thorium ash using a Bunsen burner. I mean, this this kid's awesome. Han posed as an adult scientist or high school teacher to gain the trust of many professionals in letters and succeeded, despite misspellings and obvious errors. Han ultimately hoped to create a breeder reactor using low-level isotopes to transform samples of thorium and uranium into fissionable isotopes. <laughs> His homemade neutron source was often incorrectly referred to as a react reactor, but it did end up emitting dangerous levels of radiation, likely well over 1,000 times normal background radiation. Alarmed, Han began to dismantle his experiments, but it, in a chance encounter, police discovered, his, police discovered his activities, which triggered a federal radiological emergency response involving the FBI and the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. <laughs> On June 26, 1995, the EPA, having designated Han's mother's property a Superfund hazardous materials cleanup site, dismantled the shed and its contents and buried them as a low-level radioactive waste in Utah. Unknown to officials, his mother, fearful that she would lose her house if the full extent of the radio radiation were known, had already collected the majority of the radioact radioactive material and thrown it away in the conventional garbage. Han refused medical evaluation radiate refused medical evaluation for radiation exposure. EPA scientists believe that Han's life expectancy may have been greatly shortened by his exposure to radioactivity, particularly since he spent long periods of time in the small enclosed shed with large amounts of radioactive material and only minimal safety precautions. But he refused their 1995 recommendation that he be examined at the Enrico Fermi Nuclear Generating Station. So, uh, poor David Han. Um, you know, unfortunately he passed away, but, um, I just always remember reading that and it kind of reminds me of Bob Lazar because Bob Lazar, you know, the area 51 dude, he bought a, uh, a nuclear reactor toy set. And this was something available from the, in the fifties. And it actually had like a tiny bit of plutonium or something. It actually was, a, it was probably the most dangerous toy ever invented. It was, it was basically radioactive, um, not as radioactive as, as the Boy Scout, but pretty close. So anyway, I find it very interesting. Uh, I live near a reactor myself at Reed College. They have a small nuclear reactor, and I like to tell people that sometimes it kind of freaks them out. Um, I think it's it's secured, and it's you know behind a lot of concrete in the basement, so even if it went kaput, I think we'd be okay. But, yeah, you know, no one really knows about this stuff. Uh, you know, we, we thought uh, Fukushima was safe, so who knows? All right, folks, uh, I'm pretty sure I glossed over some of the IndyCar news. It was, uh, it's like a spider web, this silly season stuff, um, and all the acronyms for team names got me a little confused, so I apologize. Uh, but thanks for dipping in the slipstream. You can get the straight dope on Twitter, at Ronkel. Uh, Hana is nodding in agreement. 
she really liked today's show. She loves Silly Season, so uh, this is her favorite part of racing. Okay, everybody, be safe. And remember, this is the place where Strawberita dreams become champagne reality.